Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. On tonight's show, we have some of the best stock pickers in the country giving us their views on some of their really hot stocks. These stocks are heavily swayed towards the tech sector, but we do look at some old standbys like Telstra. Is it a good buy at this low price, or should we be thinking about something a lot more modern than good old Telstra? We kick off with Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Then Michael Wayne of Medallion Financial gives us his three best stocks right now. I then get Junbei Lu of Tribeca Investment Partners to rate Michael's hot stocks. And then Paul Rickard looks at some of the big licks to see if they are still good investments in your overall portfolio. In case you don't know what a lick is, it's a listed investment company. Some of the big names like Argo were famous licks and Paul will talk about whether these are still relevant and really good for your portfolio right now. So without any further ado, let's catch up with Julia Lee from Berman Invest. Well, we always kick off with Julia Lee from Berman Invest to see what she's liking right now. And a lot of our viewers like the way that she liked Mesoblast before it took off again. Uh, so let's kick off with Mesoblast. Julia, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Pete? Very good. So what's the latest on Mesoblast? <laughs> well, it's trading above $5 now, so hopefully some of your viewers got in at lower prices. But mm. it has been a volatile road, and I do like to find stocks which have positive upcoming catalysts. And I think the big one for Mesoblast is the 30th of September, where it is due to get FDA approval or disapproval for <laughs> its uh, pediatric gra acute graft versus host. Um, so watching that one closely, and I think... Uh, part of that decision is de-risked somewhat by the Oncology Committee, which voted 9 to 1 in favour of the drug that uh, Mesoblast has. But in addition to that, there are Phase 3 trials ongoing with lower back pain, as well as uh, chronic heart failure, which are pretty exciting in the last quarter of the year. So looking at those as well and potential partnerships there. Okay, so that's Mesoblast. Have you put any new stocks into your fund this week? <laughs> Last week we've been adding a blue scope steel to the mm -hmm. portfolio. Um, we have seen steel prices in China recovering for a while now, but what's exciting is that steel prices in the US have been moving. And I guess that's symptomatic of economic uh, recovery. Um, but it's great that we are seeing strong demand there, which is causing prices to go up. So mm. I think maybe the worst is behind Blue Scope Steel. So happy to dip my toe into the water there. And I guess, Julia, if you believe 2021 is going to be the year of infrastructure spending of governments <laughs> right around the world. Steel is always a part of infrastructure, isn't it? It is. It's infrastructure, it's building, it's, and it's even vehicles. So mm. if we do see more people buying cars, then we could see some demand from the car industry. Mm, exactly right. Let's go through some of the stocks I've already uh, run by experts in the program already. Um, companies like PointsBet, what's your view on PointsBet? I think PointsBet has had a really good run and it's one of those companies that has been benefiting from the COVID-19 situation. Um, I think the acquisitions that they've made during this period uh, will be quite sticky, so I do like the business. It has been quite volatile though, so in terms of price action now, I'd say there's a bit of froth in it. Um, so as you see some of these stocks gaining in popularity, you have to be 
a lot more careful around the herding effect that happens as more people pile in. And I guess uh, you go from just normal optimism to irrational exuberance yes. uh, in some of these valuations. So, look, I like it when the herding effect takes place. I just become very careful in monitoring those positions so that when the share price does fall, that I'm not the last one to get out because it can uh, drop quite suddenly. So, Julia, what do you think of Megaport? This is one we hold in our portfolio. Pete, you know I like data centres and we've been holders of NextDC. Mm. And I guess Megaport is in the same vein where we are seeing our services or software to data centres becoming absolutely crucial. And Megaport connects not only different data centres to the user, but it allows users to move data to different data centres, to data centre, to data centre. And I guess as cloud services become uh are a growing area and people uh, connect to more than one data center. Something like Megaport, I think, uh, has a good growth profile in front of it. So it is software instead of hardware, which is less expensive. And it just means that people can and businesses can bring on uh, data capability and capacity as they need it quite quickly through a company like Megaport, which connects to, I think, something like 266 data centers in around mm. 170 countries now. Extraordinary. Let's go old-fashioned now, IAG. <laughs> insurance Australia Group. Mm. When it comes to insurance, there's three things to evaluate, premiums, claims and investment. So I guess having a look at the area of premiums, we are seeing price increases, which, are, which is good news for insurers. I guess the only thing that I'd be watching in terms of premiums is the employment situation. As stimulus starts to roll off, are we going to see more people without an income and is that going to impact on um, how much insurance they buy in terms of their house insurance or their car insurance. Um, in, in the area of claims, uh, some of the claims areas have, have been lower, for example, in the area of vehicles, but that's been offset against expectations around future claims. This, is, this has to do with COVID-19 um, and I guess business disruption as well as landlord and other insurance as well. So Insurance Australia Group has actually put aside about $100 million for that. It means that if they don't use all of that provisioning, that will be returned and that would be a positive. But of course, if they use all that provisioning and need more, that would be a negative mm. in the area of claims. So look, in the area of claims, you're probably seeing a slightly deteriorating outlook and then finally is the area of investments because basically insurers, they take your premiums and then they invest it either in things like bonds, fixed interest or even in the share market. And if you think about the famous insurance com company, Berkshire Hathaway, that's really the underlying premise for Warren Buffett's business mm. that, um, you know, the insurable uh, the insurance claims coming together and he invests the money. Um, but in terms of Insurance Australia Group, those three areas, premiums, claims and investment. Premiums, you're probably seeing a relatively positive outlook at the moment. Claims are relatively negative and deteriorating one. And in the area of investments, the investment values, of course, have been falling because interest rates around the globe have been falling. Um, however, you're probably going to see a bit of stabilisation over the next 12 months. And when you're looking at investments and in insurers, the one that has the most exposure to an investment portfolio and earnings is QBE Insurance, followed by Insurance Australia Group on the, the market. Look, So look, I don't mind Insurance Australia Group here. Um, I'm probably slightly a bit more positive than neutral, but um, not a huge bull on this yeah. one. Good, good analysis. Telstra? <laughs> Telstra. Mm. 
You know, Pete, you've, every time you've picked, you've picked that right. Three dollars, I yeah. like it. I know you've picked <laughs> like it before. Price. And look, there's a reason why it's fallen below three bucks, and that's because of its weak outlook. They have given weak guidance for uh, the current financial year, and look, that's understandable. We've seen COVID-19 impacts. We're not travelling overseas, so we're not using roaming services, and some of their mobile revenue has been a little bit softer than expected as well. But there's been a lot of talk that Telstra is becoming more and more like a retailer and a reseller of products because of the NBN. And if you think uh, along that retail line, retailers do really well when a hot new uh, product is launched to the market. And the hot new product that I'm watching for Telstra is the iPhone 12. I've been holding off on upgrading my uh, iPhone, even though it has a broken screen at the moment, because I want it to have 5G capability. So this new iPhone 12, which should be announced in October this year, um, will have 5G uh, capacity. So I suspect there are some uh, a few iPhone uh, owners which are waiting for the release of this one to make it, I guess, uh, compatible with the future and 5G. And hopefully for Telstra, it means that they not only sell a whole bunch of iPhone 12s, but also their 5G capacity at the moment. So 5G has been rolled out to about one third of the Australian population at the moment. And by 2025, it should be, uh, by 2021, next year, June, it should be about 75% of the Australian population. So really with Catalyst, often I'm looking for things like new management, new strategy or new products. And for Telstra, the new products that I'm, I'm looking out for are 5G related products, which might boost sales. And so is it a buy or a sell? Yes, I like it under three bucks. <laughs> okay, under three bucks. <laughs> All right, now I've been, uh, I've been bouncing for, for a lot of stocks. Just quickly do Worley. A lot of people ask us about Worley. As you know, it's been a disappointing stock and it does well. What's its current position according to you? Yeah, look, Worley Parsons, um, it's a changing company. Previously, there were pretty much reliant on the oil and gas industry. Uh, about 65% of their revenue came from that area. But then they made that Jacobs acquisition, which is in the chemicals uh, sector. And so now about 20% of their revenue comes from that area. But having said that, um, if you have a look at the oil and gas space, they just haven't been spending as much on capital expenditure. In fact, if you have a look at the major companies, they've been guiding that they're spending around about 20 to 30% less. So I think that's still a negative for Wally Parsons, that oil and gas industry. Um, but if you continue to see oil prices running up hard, then this will be uh, a stock that uh, benefits. But I suspect that you know oil prices are going to probably linger around here for a while. Okay, one last one. And it's one that's been popular and it's unpopular. It's a tricky company, Nearmap. <laughs> yeah, Pete, I struggle with this one. I mean, we owned it on, in the portfolio and we sold it ahead of the capital raising. So we did quite well out of Nearmaps. Um, but this is a company, I guess I like it because... Um, uh, during lockdown, obviously, you need services to be able to continue your workplace. So if you're a planner or a council worker or an architect, it allows you to do your work without actually having to go onto the site because it's, there's very detailed images. Mm. Technology plays a huge part in this. And I guess the reason why I'm a little bit hesitant is because of the capital raising that they just did. They did a capital raising and that's, this will allow them to scale much more quickly, which I think is a smart move given that time is of importance. But they've been guiding that they're, they're, they're getting to uh, 
they're, they're getting to a stage where, you know, the business should be doing well and then it seems to go back two steps and then mm. forward three steps and then back a couple of steps. So some of my confidence in what um, NearMaps guides for is has been eroded somewhat and I suspect that's true of some other players in the market as well. So I think they have a bit more confidence building to do. Um, if you're a high risk taker, maybe get in at this point, but for me, I'd prefer to see a bit more track record in terms of reliability of um, the things that they're guiding towards and achieving. Well, the analysts think there's 30% upside, but as you pointed out, there are a few tricky moments you know, in their business life ahead before that probably is materialised. Julia Lee, as always, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, ten years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, last week in the Switzer Report, Michael Wayne wrote a brilliant article, very well received, about three stocks that he likes going forward. I want to talk to him about those three stocks and see why he likes them so much. Mike, great to see you. Thanks for having me, Peter. Yeah. Well, is, is it easy to find these sorts of stocks? Well, it's hard because everyone's always asking for the next afterpay these days, but yeah. to get returns like that in that time frame is yeah. very, very difficult. So yeah. what we try and do is find businesses that are going to capture the market's attention, capture a lot of market share within their various sectors and hopefully do well off the back of that. But to get, you know, 10, 20 times your money in a couple of years, yeah. that's not... Quite rare. That's quite rare. Um, and do you, do you accept that you, know, you might miss the early part of the, of the rise of the share price because, in a sense, you need to see that the market's reinforcing your positive view on the company? Yeah, 100%. You can't just look at the percentage return at the end of the day and say, look, it's gone from a dollar to $10, look how well it's done. Mm. You've got to take into account the risk and the volatility. And it was only you know, a couple of months ago that Afterpay went from $70 down to $8 in the matter of a few trading sessions. Mm. And that's a lot more volatility than you might get from your average ASX top 20 business or ASX right. top 50 business. So that's something you've got to take into account. Not many people would have the stomach for something like that. So when you're weighting your portfolios or putting a certain amount to these companies, you need to take that into account. I've got to say, my, my son tried to get in at $8 <laughs> and his Comsec account actually froze. <laughs> He's killing himself. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, let's talk about um, the companies you like. The one that a lot of people have heard about is Megaport. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just tell us why you like it? Well, look, basically they're involved in data uh, in many ways. It's different to a data center operator. Essentially, they're what they call a network as a service, which allows businesses which operate offshore and around the world to access different cloud networks when they need that capacity. Um, they can vary the, the speed that they require, the capacity they need, the price, the contract length. So it essentially gives these businesses access to different data networks, whether it's Amazons, Googles, um, and enables them to control that supply or, yeah. and that demand when they need it. So, in contrast, people who aren't using Megaport 
are basically always with one only provider. That's right. And one form of data more often than not, whereas Megaport enables them to get access to all these different types mm. of data and different data centres mm. when they require it. The way we look at it, it's a bit like a roundabout. You can get on and off when you want, mm. and it's that in essence when it comes to data. And because of their, their model, everyone likes that software as a service type model. This yeah. is in many ways a very similar model, it's just they call it network as a service. So you, you pay for when you need it. Mm. So I guess the, the question is, um, is it a productivity play or is it a, uh, and therefore a, a cost reduction play or is it a something that actually enhances the, the success of someone's business when they have Megaport? It's basically a productivity play. It enables these businesses to access different markets, store their data, um, use different types of data when they need it. Whereas mm. in the past they would have to have a fixed contract and earn a fixed amount of storage. Now they can tap into these markets and increase their access to that market or decrease their access whenever they need it. So, so it, be cost it allows, as well? that's right, allows them to optimize their data usage um, from when they require it. Mm. Does the market understand it? Look, it's a, it's a, look, it sounds a bit more complex than it is, mm. I think, in reality. Um, mm. We first included this in our, our monthly report three years ago, and mm. it was around sort of $3 then. Yeah. Um, it's actually come back into vogue and it's starting to get a lot more attention now because the company's grown a lot and everyone's thinking, oh, what are these businesses that are going to do well out of COVID? Mm. Obviously, we're demanding more data, access to more data in this environment, and this is one of the few companies on the ASX that will benefit from that, that change. So. I think the awareness is starting to build. You've got more investment banks covering it, more research reports out there. Mm. So I think that you're sort of getting in just as the market's getting a better idea of what the business does. Are you able to get a handle on how big the potential market is and what percentage they've got at this point in time? Yeah, look, the numbers off the top of my head elude me, but it's a, an enormous market. Yeah, um, and, that's, so. and that's, I think, they're only just scratching the surface of it now. They've recently come up with a new product, which is half the reason it had such a big jump around the reporting season, a new arrangement in place with Amazon, um, which was a, a unique product, which is coming to the market for the first time. So that's meant to give them another big lift, but effectively the market's very, very large and they've only touched the surface Are so far. Are they a takeover target? Potentially. You hear the word Amazon, yeah. you think takeover, don't you? Well, there's you? Amazon, there's, there's IBM, there's there's all the different large industries that have the data centers, that have the data support mm. structures. They basically are clients of Megaport. Um, who knows? I mean, at the moment, it's still a very small business in scale terms mm. compared to some of those companies. So it is definitely conceivable. Okay, let's go to the next one, push pay. Yep. What in the hell do they do? Yeah, look, it sounds like an afterpay or a zip money type company, yeah. but it's not really at all. Essentially, they provide a platform to faith-based organisations, mainly churches in the US, where they've got over 10,000 churches as customers. Mm -hmm. And effectively, it allows them to not only engage with their congregations a lot easier over the internet rather than in person, but it allows the congregations to provide donations through a platform. Mm -hmm. And effectively, Pushpay takes a clip of those donations. Mm -hmm. But for the churches, they actually love it because it increases their total amount of donations it makes it easy for and it makes it easier for people to donate as well so they get the best of both worlds obviously again it's come to the fore during the lockdown when the number of people were able to go to church at once has decreased but this has forced people to look at other ways of collecting their donations mm. and, and push pay has been in the right place at the right time 
Um, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. The awareness is now out there. And the fact is people will now look more likely migrate to push pay rather than the old fashioned collection plate. Is this an Aussie company? This is actually a New Zealand company, mm. uh, like a zero, I suppose, yeah. and, and it's listed here and in New Zealand. Mm. And recently there's been a little bit of initial fat seed investor selling, mm. but it's only really a small amount out of, compared to how well they've actually done it. Are, are the, the guys at Hillsong, are they using push power? It is, all, like it's, it's all those sorts of mm. things, as mm. well as the big evangelicist churches where you end up with thousands of people packing mm. out. So if you think about, again, the size of that market in the US, really at this point, it's, well, it's global. Really, really. It's global. And this yeah. is just the, they're focusing on churches at the moment, but then they could roll it out to charity based organisations as well. Mm. Anything where you want to go up, you make your donation, you pay rather than having to go through the conventional Maybe channels. Maybe the Switzer Report should use push pay. Well, the thing <laughs> is, why they're different to, say, a Stripe or like some of those other, or even an Afterpay, for instance, mm. is because they've actually got a platform which integrates the whole church-based uh, and faith-based interaction with your, with your congregation. Mm. So you get your sermons online, the calendar, everything like yeah. that is integrated into one hub. It's, it's white-labeled and it's a big value add mm. for, for, these, for these people. Yeah, points bet. This yeah. sounds like complete opposite the push yeah, Points bet. Look, this is not everyone's cup of tea because it's involved in, in sports betting and gambling. Um, but we've been in it and done very well out of it and we this continue to like it. This is an Aussie company. Mm. Um, so very big sports betting community in Australia here, but not so much in the US um, because historically they've had regulations in place which limited the amount of sports betting that you're able to yeah. do. But in recent years, that's effectively all changed and it's now been left up to the individual states to decide whether or not they want sports betting in their respective states. And all the states, well not all the states, but a lot of the states one by one are coming online to sports betting. So you've had, you know, Illinois, which is where Chicago is, New Jersey, um, Kansas City, the list goes on of all yeah. the different states that are now legalizing sports betting. Mm -hmm. And points bet's actually one of the first movers into the US Isn't market. Isn't 365 a, a US company? I've yeah, always no, presumed they're they a US. Yeah, I'm not sure if they are. I think they could be. But there's, look, there's lots of competition mm. out there. Don't get me wrong. There's, mm. there's William Hill, there's, yeah, there's Bet360, mm. Ladbrokes. Um, but they've got 10% of the market share at the moment um, in, in, in the US, the US yeah. points bet. They've got a lot of market share as well in Australia. But they've got a couple of different games, if you like, which are patented. Uh, and only they are able to provide it to their customers. So you can, for instance, set your bet depending on how many points you want your team to win by. If it's one point or whatever it is, your odds are then amplified. Mm. So that's actually a product which their competitors can't necessarily copy, yeah. um, which gives them a bit of an advantage. They've also got an agreement now uh, with NBC over in the US, where NBC is coming on as a strategic partner. Effectively, points betters agreed to spend 500 million on advertising on CNBC uh, yeah. in return for C a percentage of CNBC. Uh, CNBC, or N NBC. Yeah. NBC. Yeah. It's a so bigger not, audience. Not the, not the business channel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so all these three companies, some people will watch this and say, right, well, Michael sees on these three years ago or whatever. Yeah. Have they missed the boat? Not necessarily, because mm. early on, you might miss out on those enormous gains. But yeah. as I was touching upon earlier, the risks are, are very different. Yeah. These companies have now established themselves. Uh, they've got a lot of growth. They've won a lot of market share. Mm. They've got the funding in the bank, and they've got the backers to help them continue yeah. to expand and capitalise on that early advantage. So again, you can't just pile into tech names in your portfolio. No. You've got to make sure you've got a good balance there. But if you're looking for a couple of positions to, mm. to jazz things up a little bit, these are, are businesses that have their risks, yeah. but I think it's a calculated and, risk. And none of these would be top 300 even, would they? 
Oh, I think Megaport might have slipped in there maybe just recently. So, um, so they are takeover targets to a, to a bigger company. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and they'll be acquiring businesses themselves. They'll be growing organically and they'll be picking off even smaller opportunities. And if you look at the likes of you know Amazon, Apple, all the companies, Alphabet, that are getting all the headlines at the moment because they're so huge and driving the direction of indices, mm. basically what's happening is more and more of the profits are going to fewer and fewer companies because what ends up happening is these large established players who are listed on the market and have access to equity capital, they can go out and they can acquire their small competitors very early on. Yeah. And that way they're effectively paying out for growth early and then they expand as they integrate those new acquisitions. After pay and zip are doing exactly After pay that. zip, they're all, this is sort of the way of the world at the moment in this tech space because it is so scalable. If you've got that base in place, that infrastructure in place, you can leverage off that. I think Jeff Bessos proved that a long time ago, didn't he? Yeah, now look, if we can just get a tenth of what Jeff Bessos <laughs> or a hundredth of what. That's right. So that's Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. If you want to read is extensive coverage on those three stocks and you're not a Switzer Report subscriber, just take out a free trial of the Switzer Report and you can catch up on those insights from Michael Wayne. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Peter. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, every second week we catch up with June Bay Lu from Tribeca Investment Partners. June Bay Lu is a portfolio manager, and we always like to ask her what she likes right now. And we get to check out some of the, the stocks that some of our other experts have said they like as well. June Bay Lu, great to see you. Good to be here. Thank you, Peter. My pleasure. Let's uh, talk about the stocks that you like at the moment that's come, uh, come up on your radar screen. Oh my God, there's so many. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there's so many. Let's go through the list. Look, um, the number one, well, the top five, mm. I would say, is the first Sydney Airport, yeah. premium asset, and something that we always return this uh, retain its value over time, yeah. you know, once we move truly beyond this uh, lockdown and everything, and something that, um, you know, with the lower interest rate should retain a very premium asset value, so East Sydney Airport, and that you should generate significant amount of return, yep. and that is our number one pick. Okay. Um, and then we have the likes of uh, uh, Domain, mm -hmm. you know, which is a growth asset that would deliver significant amount of return. It's probably one of the cheapest growth, as growth assets that is out there at the yeah. moment double digit return almost close to 100% over the next two years um, in terms of listings property listing and we know all know how strong it has been and uh, we do believe there's a level of pent-up demand yeah. and so you think there's good value because REA has dominated the market mm. but you're sort of suggesting domain 
may well be the second player, but is a good second player and is underpriced. Absolutely. Mm. Um, it's a market cap is only one-seventh of the what REA is mm. trading on. Um, the real difference is really the, really the domain was the, the second player. You know, it's up and, up and coming mm. and uh, it's really just trying to monetize its uh, audience base. And at the moment, it has the same access as the REA. So in our view is that in two years, it should well get at at least to half of what REA has achieved. Mm. So um, on that basis, the company is trading on very cheap, um, you know, sort of uh, P to growth sort of ratio, which mm. um, a lot of growth managers looking at. So probably one of the cheapest growth assets that is out there mm. with leverage to the housing uplift. Okay, that's number two, number three. <laughs> oh, there's plenty. Yeah. So um, number three, <laughs> so uh, we've got to be selective. Mm. So there's a center group we really like. Um, mm. Look, this is not a cup of tea for everyone. No. Um, our view is that with asset price, with the interest rate as low as it is, um, you know, premium asset as such as shopping centers or, you know, property and the like should be much higher than what it is right now. The reason it's only trading at 50% of its asset value is because it's being impacted by the coronavirus. So the retail shops were closed and shut and everything, yeah. but they will open and it is on track to open. So we do believe that asset price will come back and your return opportunity mm. is enormous with this company. Yeah, so all three stocks really have a reopening implication, mm. don't they? You've got Sydney Airport, you know, mm. travel domain when people start selling houses confidently again. <laughs> and then of course you've got the uh, implication of um, retail. That's right, but there's one other ones that we would throw in mm. is that even without reopening, Sonic Healthcare mm. is an interesting one. It is one that often people say, oh, it's a boring stock, let's mm. not go into it. Yeah. But you know what? With the current amount of demand for coronavirus-related testing, uh, even though the current um, normal level of testing for other related things has been down significantly, but coronavirus has now more than compensated for that. Mm. And it's recently signed deals with the US government, which means current earnings is significant. It's something like 20% above what consensus is looking for at AGM. So mm. this company is going to, going to deliver a significant amount of return in the short term. Yes, you know, in two, three years time, it may come off, but for the short term, it is a good barbell strategy to mm. hold in your portfolio. Okay, they're your ones. Let me throw a few at you. What do you think of points bit? I like points bet. Mm. Um, you know, I really think it look it looks expensive. It's mm. part of that growth strategy. But I think their latest deal with signing with um, um, you know the marketing campaign and the equity raising mm. give them the capacity and runway for the next three years. I really do think this company will capitalize on that betting in the U.S. Um, like. Uh, like none of the other companies in Australia you can yeah, get exposure to, which I think is a really, really exciting space. So mm. that is one absolutely I have. What about Megaport? I love Megaport um, <laughs> compared to PointsBet. Yeah. Megaport is actually um, more like an infrastructure sort of play, yeah. you know, more tel telecommunication infrastructure, that cloud computing sort of play, generate a significant amount of growth in terms of runway. And that's the only company in Australia that provides the exposure to that cloud growth. And uh, yes, it's expensive, but I think it's, it's, you know, it's one of the very few okay. that offers you that exposure to the okay. space. Now, I'm going to ask you about a stock now where the analysts on FN Arena think there's 30% upside. But it's a company you know, <laughs> Nearmap. What's your view on Nearmap? Because um, it's been, a, it's been a, <laughs> a, a, a checkered performer, hasn't it? 
has a wonderful run up, then it gets sold off. I'm sure a lot of people out there just don't know what's going on with this company. What do you think? Uh, look, I, uh, as you probably can tell from my previous commentary, yeah. I like growth companies. Yeah. and But Nearmap is one of those I I love what they have generated mm. in terms of their growth. That They have gone into the U.S. trying to grab that market share. But, um, you know, six months ago or a little over six months ago, they started losing share to some of the smaller player within Australia. Yeah. It does worry me a little bit that, mm. um, you know, if you start losing share in your core market, what does that mean? for you know your uh, competitive advantage for the new market in the US yeah. um, so it um, I'm probably staying away from that company at this point mm. I do need to see more demonstration of its competitive advantage and how sustainable that is okay and what about a company like Lendlease? they own this building that we're in here right now and of course they've got all the rental challenges and but they are a diversified company what's your view on Lendlease? Yeah, I just feel they have too your many problems. Your face tells us the <laughs> yeah, answer every time. They have too time. many problems. Yeah. They have too many problems. Look, they 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 manage to sell their um, part of their business, their which is great. That's business, right. Yeah. yeah, but they they couldn't get rid of the Melbourne Metro, which has been the problem project for them. And um, you know, um, there was expectations of the Victorian government kicking out some funding for them to hopefully get over that project, but it didn't happen. So look, it it is a problem project for them, and. Um, Look, it's very cheap. I just, yeah. I'm kind of nowhere with that stock. Yeah. I find it's very difficult for me to get on top of it. People yeah. tell me how complex it is. It's like the Macquarie Bank of the property yeah. trust. Yeah. There are too many moving parts. And if you don't understand something, you know you what, just it. wait for it. Well, here's one that's pretty easy to understand, but <laughs> be intriguing to see your reaction. And a lot of our viewers probably hold Telstra. What mm. do you think? <laughs> your face again. <laughs> I think we spoke about it before. Yeah, we have. I, I just wanted to see me, your face. You always <laughs> like to ask me those uh, previous ex-market darlings. Yeah. Um, I actually think Telstra, they reported a little bit poor results. Mm. Yeah. Um, Look, if you're after dividend, it's okay. Mm. You know, it offers a good dividend. It's over 5% dividend yield. Um, not much of a growth because the com competition in mobile, which is meant to be the growth prospect for this company, um, is, is, is pretty intense. Mm. So um, I don't see that any going away anytime soon with now that TPG and Vodafone merge and all of that. So dividend is okay, but don't expect any growth out of it. So mm. I find it's a little bit boring, to be honest, to okay. beat the, uh, the market. Well, I, I don't want to leave my viewers with a boring memory of <laughs> June Bailey. So what do you think about smart pay? I like smart pay, but I like Tyro better. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. do I. So look, we, we have a, um, you know, we love Tyro since mm. it listed. Um, smart pay is good. It's like the miniature version of Tyro, mm. um, but smart pay is kind of like a complete outsource model, model which is low cost and everything. Yeah. Um, but to me, I tend to like to stick with the market leader yeah. in, you know, uh, any sector, any mm. digital sector, you tend mm. to want to stick with the market leader because these are the ones that will make it ultimately. Um, smart pay may well, yeah. but, um, you know, I just, you know, we don't know, right? So yeah. um, uh, Tyro is actually a great play for this reopening because yeah. their volume has really been impacted by the Victoria lockdown again. 22% yeah. um, of the economy is that's Victoria. That's right, that's yeah. right. And now, but it's recovering again, even though with the Victoria in lockdown. So I really think that is a business that will recover significantly. You generate significant amount of return mm. from that business. Well, I wrote a story today, uh, Jim Bailu, uh, and I just realized that as a shareholder of Tyro, I may well have a conflict of interest here because I suggest that the Treasurer should reinstitute 
the long lunch, take away FBT. <laughs> Imagine what would happen to Tyro's share price Absolutely. if everyone could take their, their business customers to a lunch without uh, a FBT. Especially in Victoria. Especially in Victoria. <laughs> Especially in Victoria, that what we, that's what we need. Exactly right. Mm. Uh, now, Lu, what's the name of your fund? My, name, my fund is uh, Tribeca Alpha Plus Fund, yep. um, and we've been around since um, actually, you know, being over 13 years. Yeah, it's been okay. a long time. Um, we've been one of the top performers in the Australian market, and uh, we continue to see lots of opportunities across every sector, really. Yeah, and as you can see, she goes after growth. That's June Bay Lu from Tribeca Investment Partners. Well, each week I like to catch up with Paul Rico to see what he's written about in the Switzer Report. And this week he's focused in on the big licks. Now, if you don't know what a lick is, it's a listed investment company. And some of the big names in the stock market like Argo and Afic are these licks. Paul's talked about now. Let's see if they're still relevant in the new age. Well, they are, Peter. I mean, Afic has something like 150,000 shareholders. Uh, Milton has about 90, the same with Argo. Mm. So these are really popular investments. Afic's over $7 billion. Mm. And, of course, they're largely uh, investing in uh, you know, mainly blue-chip type companies, Peter, companies that can grow, grow mm. their dividends. And uh, each of those three listed investment companies uh, hopes to basically pay a fully frank dividend and, mm. and give you roughly sort of index type performance. What's the history of them, Paul? Yeah, the history goes back. Milton was actually set up in 1953. I could be out by a couple of years, okay. but it's in the 50s, I remember. Yeah. I, I don't know how, where they came from, Peter, but in the 80s and 90s, mm, yeah. before we had things like uh, exchange-traded funds and we all had more sort of, uh, I guess, emphasis on managed funds, mm. these listed investment companies were the easiest way to get, you know, broad-based access to the stock market and were super popular, you know. Yeah. Uh, particularly companies like Argo had a really strong base in South Australia. So mm. you talk to a lot of people in Adelaide, they've all got Argo shares. Yeah. Uh, they grew up that way. I think Don Bradford was actually involved at some stage. Oh, you're right with, there. Uh, I think you're right. Argo, and, so. and Paul, I can remember as a young uh, economist who inexplicably wasn't interested in the stock market, I remember when I was actually, someone explained to me about this company called the Australian Foundation Investment, Investment Company, company yep. AFIC, and, and they had a big party over the North Shore and they introduced it to everybody. And at the time I thought, this sounds like a pretty good way to get into the stock market if you're not an expert in the stock market. And so a lot of people did do that, didn't they? It was a good vehicle to get involved yeah, in the look, stock market. Yeah, look, they've delivered for shareholders uh, over the many, many years, Peter, and that's why they've got such a loyal shareholding. But occasionally they get very expensive. And, they, and uh, what, one of the challenges... What do you mean by that? People well, understand. one of the challenges with listed investment companies is that the price they're trading on the ASX... Hmm often has very little relevance to the so-called underlying or intrinsic value. Mm. Now, because these listed investment companies just hold marketable securities, they're really easy to value. Potentially, mm. they could sell all their investments tomorrow, pay off their small amount of liabilities and give you the money back. Mm. And we actually call that the intrinsic value, or it goes under the term NTA, standing for net tangible, tangible asset assets. value. Now, that's a sort of a real value. But where they trade on the day on the ASX depends on just who wants to buy and who wants to sell. Yeah, and this and is the crazy part that a lot of normal people don't get. What you're saying is, let's imagine they had 100 shares and each one of those shares is worth a dollar. 
the value of that company is $100, but the stock market could be saying, oh no, it's only worth 95 yep. or 80 it's a discount then, or if I say it's worth 105 it's trading at a premium. But it's like the market's view can be wrong, really. Yep, I mean, often the market just doesn't take it, take account of it or people don't really understand that. So mm. you're right, a company can be worth $100 and it's only trading at the market value is at 90 or it could be trading in the market values at 110. But if you came to, you know, liquidate it, which of course you can do with these companies because they just hold marketable securities as assets, yeah. you wouldn't get that back. So that's what we mean by premium and discount. And one of the challenges with listed investment companies is that you really need to pay close attention to the premium or discount. Mm -hmm. Now, my point about the, uh, the three big major listed investment companies is the history says that sometimes they're at a premium, and sometimes it says over a discount. And that has been true over not just the last five years, but the last multiple decades, 30, yeah. 40 years. What are they now and, for? Well, they've actually, the big ones have actually backed at a bit of a premium. Are they? So mm. I would argue that now's the time to actually think about selling them. Mm. And because they basically deliver sort of, you know, historically they've delivered about index performance, yeah. you'd actually be better off buying the exchange traded funds. So in my article today, I sort of said, AFIC is a sell, mm. Argo is also a sell, and I would go into a couple of the big ETFs, probably VAS from Vanguard mm. or IOZ from iShares. That's a better and way to play an, the market. And an ETF yep. that plays the market. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Basically, you're giving almost identical exposure, mm. and then when they go back out to a discount, a discount go the other way. You get out of them and, and you get out of the ETF yeah. and go back into the listed investment company. But Paul, some people buy into what look like good funds by good fund managers and they're at a discount. At, it's, they seem to have difficulty closing the discount. Yeah. Why? Why is it difficult and to that, close And that is one of the problems with the lick market, Peter, and it's a challenge a lot of the smaller performing mm. licks. Mm. Generally, you know, companies that are well run, well managed, good performance, well marketed, they tend to trade about NTA, mm. right? And so often, often the smaller performing licks that have, you know, Trading at a big discount, often you've got to look at behind the scenes and often the performance is not there. Yeah. Um, that's one of the issues. Sometimes the cost can be too high and sometimes they just get into that situation where no one loves them. Mm. And it's very hard to close the discount. And I think that's one of the reasons we are seeing some of the managers who've got listed investment companies in those situations think about what they're doing. Mm. We've seen uh, you know, a couple of proposals out there in the marketplace. But these big ones, Peter, for some reason, I can't work out why they traded at a premium. Right? Well, I think, it's, I think the answer is a lot of small retail traders like them, and because they like them, they buy them. Yeah. But the other, other funds need advisors and other fund managers to buy them to get them to close that gap. And when AFIC's trading at a, over a 7% premium, Peter, that's mm. some of the easiest 7% I reckon you're ever going to make. You sell it, you mm. buy VAS, and you might have to wait three months or mm. six months, you might even wait a couple of years. Yeah. But at some stage, they'll go back into a discount and they'll be attractive buys again. Okay, so if you want to know more about Licks, go and look at the Switch Report. If you're not a subscriber, there's a 21 uh, free day trial. That's Paul Rickard from the Switch Report. And that's the show, thanks for joining us. Next week, we'll be looking for more companies that we think is really good value for you and your investing.